The Notorious OTB on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network is presented by WinBet. Bet $100 at WinBet and get a $100 free bet. Head over to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash WinBet. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T to claim your free bet today. We're also brought to you by the SGPM Merch Store. Use the promo code NFCBEAST for 15% off, and it's active until the Eagles or Giants lose their next game. I don't know if Sean and Kramer are supremely confident or supremely defeatist. Welcome, everybody, to the Notorious OTV, brought to you by the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. And as always, it's all good, baby, baby. Uh, it was all a dream. We used to read Blood Horse Magazine. I'm your host, Chase Sessoms, the Wolf of Oakland. And if you're listening, you're listening to the Build Up to the Breeders' Cup Part Two. And I've got a guest with me today. Maybe as good, probably actually might be a little bit more good looking than Ren Carruthers. We've got Mr. Caleb Knight. Joining me, a uh, good friend of mine, Caleb. How is it going? I uh, definitely can't uh, take that crown from Ren, but it's yeah, going pretty good. You can't at all. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I, I've decided you are better looking than the Matt Bernier, though. You know, I'll, I'm going to take. Well, I'll take that as a win. Yeah, that, that much uh, I won't argue on. But uh, it's going good, man. It's uh, it's hard to believe that Breeders' Cup is like two weeks away. I think it's like officially like less than two weeks. The time that we're recording this right now. Yep, and it just it's just crazy to me because it doesn't feel like it's that close. Usually I feel like I have way more homework done, but this is kind of uh, I've taken a look at some of the races, but it just snuck up on me this year. Yeah. It, it did the same for me because I, I mean, hell I started this show like the week of the Kentucky Derby and it feels like I just started the show about a week ago, quite honestly. But I mean, we're, we're 40, what, this is the 48th episode. We're 48 deep now. And we've managed to uh, get all the way to the breeders cup and which is crazy is, as soon as this is done, it's just the, the road to the Kentucky Derby starts. It's like a circle. It never ends. That's the way the way I think about it. Uh, so you've been playing Keeneland a little bit this weekend? Yeah, I've been playing Keeneland pretty much uh, most of the meet on the weekends anyway. And uh, it's a fun meet. I really like Keeneland. It's a, one of my favorite tracks to actually go to in person. It has such a cool, like authentic horse racing kind of atmosphere. You're, you're right in the heart of horse racing country out there. So I love Keeneland. It's been tough to me this fall, but uh, but it's been fun. If if you can have fun losing, this has been the most fun I've had losing in a while. <laughs> right. If I'm going to lose, I want just the most like insane, just like what the fuck kind of results out there possible. The ones that like weren't necessarily extremely logical, and uh, you know, I kicked myself for not going that way instead. I want the ones that like I want the Chuck Town shippers that you know come in at twenty to one that that absolutely blow people's minds out of their asses. That's who I'd rather have win and blow my mind than, than, you know, the obvious horses. Yeah, that's exactly it. When I play tracks like uh, Aqueduct, because I refuse to call it Belmont at the big A, um, you know, it irritates me when I get beat by a horse that's two to one and, and a turf marathon when it looks like their speed and nobody goes and you know, they go in a merry-go-round. Like that's, that's not fun to lose money like that, but right. it's a lot better to get boomed by a 20 to one Charlestown horse that you're like, wow. See, I, I've settled on baby got backwaduct Belmont race with an aqueduct booty. That's that's what I've decided to call it. I, it was the it was the the Naira uh, was it Times Square Elmo meet for a little bit because it just kind of reminded me of that guy taking pictures with tourists who's 
wearing just a costume that looks like Elmo, not like an officially licensed Elmo costume. Uh, so that's kind of, I don't know. It's been nice getting away from it because I'm such a Naira fanboy that when it's not Oakland, that's pretty much all I'm focused on uh, instead of, you know, focusing on, you know, Gulfstream and all, you know, all, all the Kentucky tracks and stuff. So it's been a nice little break to start playing Keeneland a little bit. Are you, so I, forgive me for not knowing this off the top of my head. Are you in the BCBC this year? I'm not in the BCBC, but I, uh, I will be on site for the Breeders' Cup. So me and Pops are going nice. uh, this year. So pretty excited. Uh, I think there's a, a few other friends we have that are going to be there in, in some capacity or at least one day. So uh, it's exciting. I haven't been before, so it'll be a first time for both uh, him and I. So looking forward to that for sure. It's it's an experience. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, you know, I had a had a ball whenever I went last year. Uh, you're going to try to do like a last minute qualifier, maybe get into the BCBC? I'm going like, to probably try. I mean, I, I kind of took my big shot, uh, you know, or for me, what, what I consider a big shot earlier with the, uh, there was like a big Canterbury contest that I took a shot in. Um, I finished kind of mid pack. I, I couldn't quite put enough together to end up in the uh, qualifying position. And I've been kind of playing around with some of these uh, low ratio feeders for like $56 on horse players here and there. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, probably not going to make like a real concerted effort. I'm not going to put a ton of money into it, but I'll probably right. give it a few more, uh, a few more attempts before Breeders' Cup shows up to try to find a seat. I'll tell you what, I don't know if they they make enough Xanax, have enough emotional support animals or cigarettes in the world for me to play in the BCBC. I would be a fucking basket case the entire <laughs> weekend, especially, especially if I hit something and do really well. Like if I just like don't hit anything, then I'll be just like a, you know, I'll have my own little moments of self-doubt kind of basket case. But if I actually like could hit something early and be close to the lead, oh my God, I would be breathing in a fucking paper bag and shitting my pants more than likely. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely uh, not for the faint of heart. When I, when I was in it a couple of years ago, it was um, it, by, by far, I mean, I would bet more money in a single race than I would bet in, in a month, you know, just yeah. like with the BCBC kind of money. And it's just, uh, you see the way some of these players throw it around and it's just, it's a different ball game for sure. Funny that you mentioned that time that you made it to the BCBC. Uh, may I ask how you qualified for that? How did you get into that BCBC? <laughs> you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I was looking for a, a segue into that. But yeah, uh, as I'm sure you remember, it was, I think it was right before COVID. It was the BCBC before COVID. Mm-hmm. Or no, it was one during COVID. I'm sorry. Yep. When it was Keeneland. Uh, so that was what, 2020, I guess it would have been. Um, you know, I... I went into one of those horse player happy hour tournaments on Thursday for like 20 bucks. I won or ended up qualifying for the Saturday feeder, which was like the 179 through the $20 contest. And then going into the last race, I was like maybe in 10th or 11th place. I was back maybe 10 or $15 from uh, the guy in first. And I just, you know, asked a couple of the buddies, you know, in a chat that you are in obviously. And I'm like, Hey, I need a, I need a price here. What do you guys like? And then I think Mark gave me like a three to one horse. And then, uh, you know, you threw out a horse whose name I'll never forget, Freedom and Whiskey. And just, I mean, first off, off the name alone, I was I was in. But I looked at the horse and he kind of did sort of make sense. It was a I, turf race. I threw him it's in. It's worth uh, noting that I, I was hotter than a than a firecracker in July at that point, too. So I, I you had reason to believe yes. me. It wasn't like I was just throwing out stinkers all, for, all week and then you're like, okay, we'll try this one. I had been hot, to be fair. Yeah, I just I just channeled my inner JK and I just texted the expert and said, hey, what do you like here? And then uh, I was all in. <laughs> there we go. Well, Caleb is here. He's going to be talking about five forgotten horses. That's right. This is part of our build up to the BC series. Uh, we 
Ren was here talking about Friday, the Future Stars Friday, giving us some uh, pedigree plays. Caleb is here to talk about some horses that are flying under the radar that we might have forgotten going into BC Classic Saturday. We're going to hit a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to dig into these because uh, there's some pretty interesting names and also some pretty interesting themes that make me wonder things about Caleb. So we will be right back with more Notorious OTV brought to you by the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. Thinking of joining WinBet? Well, now is the perfect time. New customers who bet $100 get a $100 free bet. Plus, the WinBet Casino is always open 24 hours a day where you can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $1,000. If you're looking to join the WinBet Biggest Winners Club, whoever hits the biggest parlay on WinBet odds-wise gets a $1,000 free bet. WinBet is truly hashtag DGENs only. There's so much to choose from. All you have to do is head over to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash WinBet so they know that we sent you. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T to claim your free bet today. Offer subject to change, terms, conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough winbet is available. If you're someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Welcome back to the Notorious OTV, brought to you by the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. And it's worth mentioning, uh, you know, we've been celebrating what we call around here the month of pop and locktober all month. The... Now in October, rock stations can have their Rocktoberfest. We're keeping popping Locktober. Scratch! Hit me with the horse, man! Y'all ready? Let's go! Oh, no. Let's go! Y'all ready? Let's go! Let's go! Come on! Everybody jump! 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 I said everybody jump! That jock jam has me ready to listen to Caleb talk about horses. I don't know about you folks. Uh, but let's go ahead. Let's kick it off. You have five horses. I thought these were really interesting. Horses that, you know... Flying under the radar into these races, maybe they didn't win the big prep heading into uh, heading into BC weekend, but they are entered in these BC races. So let's start with number five. You had elite power in the BC sprint. Yeah, so I think a lot of folks are taking a look at this Breeders' Cup sprint race as almost a match race between Jackie's Warrior and Jack Christopher I and mean, the Battle of the Jacks. But I'm not convinced i guess we still don't know exactly where jack christopher is going to go but i heard today that chad brown said he's he's leaning towards the sprint over the mile just because of the one turn versus two turn configuration that's all you know fine and dandy i think him and jackie's warrior are both very nice horses but i'm not here to talk about them i'm here to talk about elite power who i think i have not heard a single person mention this horse i don't know that people know who this horse is outside of like the folks that really uh you know have done some digging already and this is a Colt who didn't really put his put it all together to start off his career. I mean, he kind of disappointed in his first three starts. But since uh, coming back as a four-year-old, he has rattled off four of the most impressive victories that anyone has had uh, all year. You know, he crushed a um, field in his maiden, winning by nine lengths. He came back into an allowance and won by three. He then went into an optional 62 at Saratoga and just destroyed another field there coming from way off the pace. Not easy to do at Saratoga, and then came back and won the Vosburg at one to two by open lengths while totally geared down. I, I mean, Chase, help me understand. Like, what are people not? You know, why is this? Why does this horse have no chance in here? Why are people not talking about this horse? I, I think what happens a lot of the time is that it's an issue of I, people don't necessarily consider the horses that like this one 
as of late, haven't done anything wrong. They're trending up. They might have just hit their first, you know, uh, attempt at a graded stakes race like, a, you know, Elite Power did in the Vosburg. And they tend to tunnel vision into the horses that have shown them that they can win big races all year long, as opposed to looking at the horse of now, which, I mean, I'll agree with you. I think Elite Power could quite possibly be the horse of now. Uh, you know, going back to June, hasn't hasn't lost a race. Uh, you know, and just keeps seems to keep stepping up each time. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's nice to see a horse that's kind of ascending like this. I mean, sometimes you were, it might be a bounce candidate uh, coming into it. But at the same time, I mean, you know, there's something to be said for picking this horse who's on its way up versus, say, picking Jackie's Warrior, who just had, uh, you know, a, an ugly loss last time out and maybe is it, isn't, you know, going to be in the top, you know, top form that it normally is. Yeah, and I think that's exactly it. Looking at Jackie's Warrior, he he's kind of thrown a couple of clunkers now. I mean, the forego, hard to say it was a bad race. He ran second, but when you're one to five, almost one to nine, you're you know, second is a bad race. Second and, is a bad race. Yeah, I agree. You know, <laughs> I, I thought last year in the Breeders' Cup, I had Jackie's Warrior as probably the likeliest winner of the entire weekend, you know, in that race. And he was terrible. I mean, the worst race of his career, hands down. He's a horse that I've been burned by twice in, on the big stage. And I definitely have some concerns about him, especially now, what is once again going to be a very short price. Um, and I kind of like the point that you brought up as the horse of now versus the horse of, you know, perhaps last year. By no means do I think Jackie's Warriors, you know, washed up or anything like that. But he's... Yeah. He's taken advantage of some pretty soft spots in his career, you know, through no fault of his own. It just sort of seems like horses have been ducking him for most of his career when he was established as kind of the sprinter of, you know, of now. But uh, when he finally tangled with a couple of more serious horses like Cody's Wish last time out, they kind of took advantage of him and were able to pull one over on him. I think Elite Power is kind of the horse that is trending in the right direction on, on his Brisnet figures. He's just as fast as anybody in this field. And I love the fact that he is versatile. He can be right up on the pace if he needs to be. He can be well off the pace and come running late if he has to. So I think he's going to have a lot of options regardless of who ends up taking the mount. I mean, he's got wins from six furlongs all the way up to a mile. So I'm not really worried about the distance. Whereas with a horse like Jack Christopher, I am a little concerned. I think six might be a touch shorter than what he really wants to do. You know, Chad's on the record saying he kind of wishes there was like a one-turn dirt mile because that might be where they would enter this horse. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that Elite Power just is the horse that uh, has really done nothing wrong lately and is really going to get overlooked by the uh, two Jack superstars. But I think he has a huge chance in here. You know, I and I'll I would like it if this horse wins, <laughs> even though I do love basically using this gif anytime uh, Jackie's Warrior wins. Corn dogs, Jackie. And before we move on, I just want to say, uh, for under the radar horses, this has to be the most highfalutinist hoity toity friggin' connections probably out there when you have Judd Mott and, and Bill Mott. But yeah, somehow, somehow they are under the radar. But let's go ahead and move on to your number four possibly forgotten horse. We're talking domestic spending in the BC mile. What? Right? What? Right? Like, why, why cut this horse back? What do you think? Yeah. So I don't, you know, when I say, you know, forgotten horses, I don't necessarily mean bombs, but just horses that I haven't seen a lot of fanfare about. And I'm sure the, uh, the press will start 
picking up on domestic spending now that it's been pretty much confirmed he's going to run in the mile. But I've seen handicappers very polarized by this horse. Either he's a total toss, that he's going to be short, that this isn't the right distance, he's going to need a start or two, that he may not be the same horse he was. And I've seen handicappers just cannot wait to go and bet him with both hands because of the horse that we knew him to be, you know, last year, the year before. So to me, I think it's probably a little too much to bring him off of a 14 month layoff or whatever it is, 15 month layoff into the you know mile and a half breeders cup turf. I think that's probably just a little bit aggressive and I'm not, to be honest with you, I'm not totally convinced that domestic spending is a horse that's better at a mile and a half. I mean, he's had some of his, most impressive races right around a mile and a mile and an eighth. Um, you know, he did win the Manhattan at a mile and a quarter and the Saratoga Derby at a mile and three sixteenths. But uh, I mean, he was beaten last out last time we saw him in the uh, um, Arlington million or whatever they call it these days, you know, the, the Starbucks, you know, Vente Latte race stakes. But um, <laughs> you know, I think that, uh, you know, he, you have to talk about him in this race, right? Because if you look at it, if not him, it sure seems like, uh, you know, the Americans are up against it in this spot. Yeah. I, I just, I don't get, I don't understand the spot because first of all, you're pulling the horse off of the shelf when it hasn't run since August of 21. And then you look back at the past performances and the horse hasn't run in the mile, hasn't run a mile race since June of 2020. And before that was February of 2020. It's an interesting spot. I don't understand it. All I can wonder is maybe is this is this a horse that is going to be used tactically by Chad Brown for another horse? I'm not sure who else is pointed towards the BC turf sprint or sorry, the BC uh, turf mile at this point. But uh, I, I, I mean, it's worth a question to ask, right? Yeah, I think it's a fair question. Um, I'm not sure exactly, you know, which or how many of Chad Brown's runners end up in the mile. I mean, I think Regal Glory is one that probably ends up going. Uh, an Italian's one that I think could actually make some sense in here, as opposed to being in the Philly and Mare turf, but I don't know that she's actually going to show up in here or not. But I'd be a little surprised to see domestic spending, you know, uses more of a tactical role. And while the, con- the layoff is obviously a concern, we don't really know, uh, you know, how the horse is training, but y- you almost have to just, or I almost have to just say, this, uh, this, this chip brawn fella, he knows a thing or two about training horses. You know, he, he knows how to bring them back and, um, he's done it before. I mean, we all remember what happened with bricks and mortar who came off of a 14 month layoff won an allowance race, won the Pegasus turf and went on to be horse of the year in 2019. I mean, off of a huge layoff, you know, we also remember with lady Eli came off a huge layoff and, uh, ran second in her return start, but then went on to have another fantastic year. So we know that Chad can bring these horses and have them ready off of these huge breaks. And if this horse was anything less than hundred percent fit, I would have to think that he would find a different spot to bring him back, whether it's a listed stakes, perhaps uh, you know, a conditional allowance or a low level stakes at Gulfstream, perhaps. I mean, the Pegasus is coming up domestic spending, you know, would make a lot of sense in there with a the prep. But to bring this horse back in the Breeders' Cup, I mean, to me, that really says that Chad has the confidence this horse is going to show up. And if Chad has the confidence, then I'm inclined to probably trust him. So this is a horse that'll, once we have to see how the field and the draw shakes out, but he's a horse I'm definitely interested in including on my ticket at what I hope will be a decent price, as I expect uh, Modern Games and maybe Ken Ross to take an absolute beating at the windows. I mean, at this point, all I can really 
guess is that uh, domestic spending fell in with the mafia before the before it ran in the uh, you know the the uh, last race at Arlington Park because then it just went into fucking witsec. It went into witness protection for over a year now and and comes back. It's just such a it's such a weird spot. But at the same time, you're right. There are three trainers that I typically think of uh, when it comes to either like reclamation projects or horses that just you know have been on the shelf for a super long time and they come back and fire first thing off like i think of todd fletcher i think of brad cox i think of chad brown and i think of like brad cox especially as like a reclamation type project guy who gets let's say for example like nixco who could take nixco from just being super disappointing into being you know pretty much a super horse uh you know i and chad i mean of course he can do this off the shelf thing but man it's just this is weird it's just so fucking weird is the only way i can really think of it when it comes to it comes to this horse it's awesome that he's in the race no matter what your opinion of him is because if, if you like him in this race you're probably going to get the best price that you will ever get on him or ever have gotten on him you know pretty much since his first couple of starts mm-hmm. and if you don't like him he's going to take enough money to raise the price on pretty much any other horse in here that you like i mean i don't think he's going to be the favorite but he's probably going to be in that five to one range or whatever and he, he's going to you know, serve to increase the prices on horses like Annapolis or Ivar or whoever else that you may fancy. Just a real unicorn, either a bomb or a takeout reducer. (laughs) How do you do that? That's amazing. We are going to take a quick break here at the Notorious OTB. We come back, we will be moving on to Caleb's third forgotten horse for the BC weekend. We will be right back. No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. Play in Pick'em contests versus other people for a shot at winning 250k plus in cash. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every day. You can also test your skills versus the house at 20 times your entry if you hit all your picks. Bet on up to five player props, over-unders, or individual player matchups across every major sports league, including NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up now with promo code SGPN at NoHouseAdvantage.com or download the app on the App Store to get a first deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play, but also where you play. You won't want to miss out on this. Welcome back to the Notorious OTB, brought to you by the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. I'm going to spell my name one more time. Check it. It's the N-O-T-O-R-I-O-U-S. You just lay down slow. So I, I actually, I think this is the probably the most intriguing horse on, on Caleb's list, and it's a number three. We're talking Clarier and the Distaff. Uh, yeah, so I am, I'm a fan of Clarier. I know that this is a horse that, people are a little bit hot and cold on and it's kind of understandable, but to me, I've always kind of looked at her and Malathat as kind of a, you know, one, a one B kind of leaders of that division. I mean, nest is a different conversation right now, but you know, Clarier and Malathat were kind of always one, a one B Latrusco was sort of at the head of that pack for a while. She seems to have been really, you know, tailed off form lately and uh, she might just be done racing. She's had a great career, uh, career, but you know, as a three-year-old, Malafat seemed to be the better horse compared to Clarier. She got, you know, had her number a few times. Malafat was a little more tactical, didn't need to make quite a, such a deep run. But as a four-year-old, I think that Clarier actually improved more than Malafat. 
Um, that's not, you know, completely surprising. I mean, you know, Asmussen tends to bring his horses along a little bit like that. I mean, so does Putcher as well, obviously. But Clarier just seemed to take a bigger step forward at four, where she came back um, as a four-year-old, I mean, with a, a crushing victory at the fairgrounds. Then she went on and ran a good second to Latruska in the Apple Blossom. But the real keys, I thought, was in the Ogden Phipps and the Shuvi, where she squared off against Malafat. And in both of those races, she beat Malafat and arguably with worse trips. Um, had to come from further off the pace than Malafat in the Ogden Phipps and was able to just get the bob. And then in the Shuvi, she was further off the pace again. She had some traffic troubles, had to squeeze up the fence and still beat her rather comfortably when it was all said and done. So I think that Clarier actually took a bigger step forward. For me, that personal ensign is kind of a race I'm just throwing out. Clarier was clearly not right that day. She was very fractious in the gate. She was acting up. She reared in the stalls. I don't know what was wrong with her that day, but she was clearly just not herself. That's not typically the way that she behaves before a race. And you could just tell she, she would just lost contact with the field, dropped back, just never really made a run. And uh, yeah, that's just a complete throw out of a race to me. You know, I like the fact that she's been freshened up off of that. She was, you know, had a pretty busy summer having, you know, three races in three months which in today's day and age is a busy summer. So I like the fact that she's coming in off of a break in here and hadn't had a prep race. She's generally fired pretty well when she's fresh. You know, she had that big race at the fairgrounds coming off the layoff. So I think that she's a horse in here that makes a lot of sense. I think there's going to be enough pace in here. And I think a lot of people are well on the, or, or looking to just concede this race to Todd Pletcher saying Nest wins this race six out of 10 times. And you know, Malathat wins at the other four. And I don't think that's the case at all. As much as I do respect Nest, I think Clarier has equal or maybe even better chance compared to Malathat in this race. You know, the, what's really hard for me with Clarier is the fact that, I, I think it's a gripe that you have a lot of the time about the, the older male horse, uh, you know, turf marathon division horses, where it just seems to be the same four or five horses that run against each other every single weekend, and they just take turns beating each other. And that's why I don't necessarily know what to do with Clarier. But I do agree with you that this might be a forgotten horse that you get a pretty good little price on. And the reason being that you, in addition to those like same faces that Clarier has faced over and over again, you're also going to have the new faces of Nests and Secret Oath, which I mean, Secret Oath, you won, won the the Kentucky Oaks. You have Nest, who, you know, ran against the boys in the in the Belmont and it appears to be just like a super filly that, like you said, everyone might just might be conceding. I mean, you've got a pretty salty horse with Clarier. And I, I think it's really, really interesting that, you know, I don't know what to make of the horse, even though I've seen the horse race so many times. And it's like now I don't, without Latruska and without like the exact same familiar like race setup, you know, the, this time it's really, it's really hard to make out, but I, I do agree with you that the, the price is there. If you, if you do indeed like the horse. Yeah. And I think that's kind of more the angle I'm looking at is everything I've seen. Nest is going to be short on Breeders' Cup day. I don't know if she's going to be seven to five, eight to five, she may go off even shorter than that, but she's going to take a lot of money. And, and it's understandable when you look at what she's done in each of her last three starts. She's just been really good. She may just truly be that special. Um, I, I don't really have anything against her, but she is kind of stepping up to face what is probably the best field that she's ever faced. I know that she ran the Belmont uh, Derby, but you know we haven't really seen Modongal come back out of that. And some of the horses behind her in that field were you know, a little bit questionable. So this is probably the best field she'll have ever faced. It's only her second time facing older horses. 
Um, you know, and there's some, there's a couple of questions in here that she will have to answer, uh, but she does look awful good. I'm not so much against Nest as I am perhaps against Malafat. You know, I think Clarier and Malafat are extremely similar and Clarier is likely to be two or three times the price. So to me, that, that makes her a very intriguing candidate in here to you know, outright win, or at the very least come running for a minor award. You know, Nest feels like the horse that you have on your smash ticket where you're maybe playing like a $5 base and, and Clarier feels like your, you know, your, your contrarian asshole ticket where you're play, playing, you know, 50 cent base where you, yes. you could get the price there. So no, I, I like it. I, I'm going to be, I probably going to be pouring over this race for days and still have no idea who, who wins it uh, afterwards. It's like a. Uh, whenever we you did like the, one of the Kentucky Derby shows with me and it was like, we had the most difficult four horse race <laughs> in the history that. of horse racing. All right. So moving on number four, Laurel river, or I guess it'd be number two. Cause we're counting down. I don't know. I'm not good. Arkansas public schools have failed me, but number two forgotten horses list. The we're looking at Laurel river and the dirt, uh, the dirt mile. This is a Baffert Judmont horse. Uh, and I think worth pointing out that actually a lot of people shit on the dirt mile. I absolutely love the dirt mile. Cause I feel like you see just like freaky fucking performances come out of the dirt mile every single year. Yeah. There's a big stigma on Twitter and other places on the horse racing sphere about the dirt mile is, is a terrible race because it's a two turn race. And I don't give a shit about if it's a two turn race, or if it's a one turn race, I do sort of go back and forth a little bit about whether I like the race because there have been years, if you look at last year, for example, where you know, life, I think it was last year, where you know, life is good, goes to the dirt mile instead of to the classic. And oftentimes you kind of get the best horse in training going to the classic. And then the second and third best may decide, I don't want to run against him. And they kind of go to the dirt mile instead. So it, it can cannibalize a little bit of the classic field, it seems, because there just aren't that many horses that truly want to go a mile and a quarter. But, you know, I think this year that's not really the case. I think we're seeing a bunch of horses that are truly just very good milers and aren't quite sprinters, but certainly don't want to go a mile and a quarter. And mm -hmm. there maybe aren't the star power names that you're seeing in the sprint or in the classic in this field, but it's a very competitive field and maybe one of the better betting races on the entire day that doesn't, isn't going to have some big, you know, four to five favorite in it. You know, I actually love that you're adding Laurel River here because th doesn't this just feel like the the Bob Baffert move with this horse where basically you have this horse that uh, is similar to Elite Power and it seems to be kind of maybe a later developing horse that comes out of nowhere and you drop the horse, you know, you drop the horse in the BC race. Uh, no one's really expecting it and it absolutely just fucking freaks. I mean, this horse just faced, uh, you know, graded stakes competition for the first time with the Pat O'Brien. Uh I mean, another classy horse with Judd Mott. It, it just has all the makings of just like a goddamn it fucking Bob Baffert kind of race. Um, especially if he hasn't won a race leading up to this race. Oh my God. I'm just, I'm throwing all my money at this one. Cause that is just, <laughs> that is exactly how that shit will go down. It just seems like it always happens that way. And we just forget about it. That's exactly it. You know, that, uh, Bob is good for at least one any given big weekend. And he, he doesn't seem, I mean, he, he's got a good juvenile with Cave Rock, but on Saturday, he doesn't seem to be super loaded. So I think uh, to me, this is Bob's horse for Saturday. And I think that, I think this horse is really live. But again, if you talk, uh, who do you think wins the dirt mile? I mean, you hear 
well, Jack Christopher before before he decided he's probably going to the sprint. And then you hear maybe horses like uh, Cody's Wish and Cyberknife, mm-hmm. you know, but to me, I always like a horse, and I've said this before, that's actually pointed to a race specifically, as opposed right. to a horse that ends up in a race because it's an afterthought or because they didn't quite want to tangle with the other competition at different levels. A horse like Cyberknife could easily go to the classic. I don't think he's distance limited at all. But to me, it feels like he's kind of ducking flight line and doesn't really want to go tangle with those horses. So he kind of shows up here. You know, I could even argue with Cody's wish, perhaps he doesn't want to go dance with Jackie's warrior and Jack Christopher. Although I think he has a more legitimate argument to be an actual miler. So I wouldn't be too harsh on him. But Laurel River, I think, is just an absolute stone cold miler. He didn't really run very well in his first four starts. When they tried putting him at, you know, five and a half, six and a half furlongs, he was honestly a disappointment. But once they stretched him out a little bit and got him around a mile, he's a perfect two for two at a mile, which at Del Mar is a two-turn configuration with a shorter stretch run, just like you see at Keeneland. Mm-hmm. And then they even cut him back to seven furlongs last time to get him some stakes experience. And he won the Pat O'Brien at Del Mar, which turned out to be a pretty good race. I mean, you know, he beat actually American beat, beat him, beat Senior, senior yeah. Buscador. Yeah, I mean, American Theorem, Senior Buscador. I mean, also Speaker's Corner was in that race, who at one time was thought to be the best miler in the country. You had Defunded in that race, who went on to beat, uh, win the Awesome Again and beat Country Grammar. Um, you even had CZ Rocket in that race, who was a tough luck second in the uh, Santa Anita Sprint next out. So that was a really salty race. And Laurel River was probably not expected to win. I mean, how often do you see Baffert horses go off at nearly seven to one and win by three lengths? Pretty rare. Pretty I mean, rare. Unless it's a maiden race and it's the other Baffert. That's pretty rare. And it's rare. the other Baffert, yeah. <laughs> then, then in that case, all the time. But in this case, <laughs> pr- pretty rare. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. I feel like this is, and once again, I mean, like I said, I said it before, it's the horse of now that just keeps trending up and doing the right thing. One, it's last three straight and doing it against, uh, you know, pretty good horses. Uh. Hell, uh, the horse that finished third in that uh, allowance optional claiming at a mile at Del Mar, uh, a friend of mine actually, uh, you know, owns that horse in Dimash. Uh, and I mean, that horse had been, you know, running really well. Uh, Divine Armor, not bad. American Admirable, at, sorry, American Admiral, not bad. Affable, not bad. American Theorem, Senior Buscador. I mean, these are all pretty good horses that are that are hitting the money along with them. Uh, so, yeah, and this is just the classic, 100% classic. Bob Baffert fucks your day up horse. That just, I, I can't think of any other way to describe it other than Bob Baffert fucks your day up horse. Yeah. And it's one of those horses too that doesn't look amazing on paper. It's not like he comes in here ab- with, with American Pharaoh or Justify or absolutely loaded. These are the kind of horses that like, like, ah, oh, that horse, you know, he can't be that good. I'm going to beat Bob. And then Bob just, he really just fucks you. Yeah, pretty much. That's exactly how that shit goes down. All right. Caleb's got one more forgotten horse for us. Get after it. I think I've stole your thunder on the last ones reading out your reading out the names, but since this is number one, who is your number one forgotten horse? Number one is a horse that's really near and dear to my heart or arguably my favorite horse in training right now. A good, another favorite horse of a good friend of ours. Yep. Warlike goddess. This is an interesting spot interesting spot for warlike goddess right i love it i love the fact that belmont is just throwing down the gauntlet or the the tiara or whatever you want to call it and he is saying i'm taking on the boys 
Like don't need to fill out the affiliate mayor. Don't need the distaff. Don't need anything. Like I'm coming for the big one. And I, I love it. It's so interesting. I mean, I'm very impressed by this horse, but it's also, I, you wonder if this was just a little bit more than the horse can chew, because I mean, you're going from beating the best American turf marathon horses, which we're not really all that you know, impressed by, and now you throw it into super deep waters. Cause now you're going to take on the best male turf marathoners in the world like that. Talk about balls. I mean, you got to think that Bill Mott is bow-legged at making an entry like this. Oh yeah. But I think, I, well, I think the waters are deeper here. I actually think her chances of winning are also better here because I think she's a horse that really wants every bit of a mile and a half. And I know a lot of folks may say, okay, well, a mile and you know, three eighths, a mile and a half, it's not that big of a difference. But if it was a mile and a half in the Flower Bowl two races back, then she's a winner, you know? And I think that this is a horse that just loves these marathon distances. She is just incredibly push button. I mean, she's a perfect five for five at this distance. She's two for two at Keeneland. And in my opinion, she should really be undefeated all the way back to her Gulfstream race of February of 2021. You know, the Flower Bowl, Rosario gave her just a ridiculous ride. Just he rode her like she was 20 to one instead of one to five, saving all this ground and getting stuck behind horses in a six horse field and just couldn't quite get there against an incredibly slow pace. That was a terrible ride. And then back in the Breeders' Cup last year in the Philly and Mare turf, I thought she just didn't get the best ride there. She came from dead last, made this incredible move, but she was like, eight wide going around the turn. And I thought she moved maybe a hair too early. She did punch the head and take the lead, but eventually got nailed by Love's Only You, who it was an incredibly talented uh, Japanese filly in herself. I mean, all the respect in the world to her, but I really think Warlike Goddess is just insanely talented. I think she's going to love this distance. And while I do think, you know, she's taking on the boys, I mean, she kind of sent the boys packing last time in the uh, Turf Classic at uh, yeah, she did. Aqueduct. I mean, just crushed that field and, and albeit that wasn't the strongest field but at the same time we don't have the strongest group of turf marathoners over here in america i mean who else is she supposed to be afraid of in this field yeah i mean in that last race uh bye bye melvin had a distinct pace advantage that is a horse that should have absolutely won that thing on the front end didn't really give uh warlike goddess any sort of pace to run into and warlike goddess just you know fucking slingshot and gauge just turned it on and, and absolutely, you know, you know, just lapped by, by Melvin, who, I mean, still ran a very game race to finish second. Uh, and I don't know, we've talked about last year's be, uh, you know, breeders cup a couple times in terms of how these horses finished last year, uh, in their breeders cup races. And this is actually my personal thought of it. And this is how I've gone through this entire year of handicapping is just throw those fucking races out the window. That was just the weirdest, wonkiest goddamn Breeders' Cup at Del Mar last year that led to just the weirdest results so that, you know, I, I feel like if you take a look at last year's Breeders' Cup a little too hard, that you're really just kind of throwing your handicapping for the for the for this year because those were not regular results that we got. Yeah, it's definitely a, a quirkier uh, track than others. I mean, I think a lot of the uh, European horses perhaps didn't handle it because it is an awful firm surface out there where Keeneland's going to have, you would think Keeneland's going to have quite a bit more give in the ground. So yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. I think Warlike Goddess has an advantage that she does have a couple of wins over the track in here. Sure. Whereas I guess speaking of the Europeans, part of the reason I am so high on Warlike Goddess in this race 
is I don't think Europe is sending their best this year. You know, there, there are no enables this year. There are no loves only use. There, there aren't even any beers. I mean, we're right. we're looking at what Broom. I mean, Broom couldn't beat our American bums last time. True. I, I guess the horses to beat would be perhaps Nation's Pride and Rebels Romance. I mean, you got to respect anything that Charlie Appleby and Goodolphin send over, but neither one of them have been really, you know, totally impressing me lately. Rebels Romance took a very unique path to get here by, uh, by way of Germany, you know, beating up on some you know, significantly inferior competition compared to going into the arc or the other more traditional uh, races. And then Nation's Pride has been beating up on our domestic horses for quite a while, but yeah. uh, you know, his one try at a mile and a half, it wasn't particularly great up until that last race in the uh, Jockey Club Derby at Aqueduct. So, you know, I respect Nation's Pride. I respect Rebels Romance, but I'm not intimidated by them. They're not scaring anybody away, I don't think. And I, and I do think they're going to take a lot of money just by, you know, given the connections and the success that Godolphin has had here lately. That's a, I mean, it's a good point. Uh, it, it's a good way to, uh, to, you know, Breeders' Cup success can be just to fucking play the connections sometimes. Like I remember a few years ago, uh, our boy, uh, Boston Tom, Tommy, Tommy had made a killing just playing E5 horses. It was a year that like Good Magic won the uh, won the uh, uh, Breeders' Cup Juvie and everything. Uh, so I mean, there's something to be said for a good uh, Godolphin horse. Go Dolphin, because that's my dolphin, as I like to say. Um, yeah, I I like this because I think this is a a ballsy stand, and I know this is not necessarily horses that you'll be just like slam betting for the for the Breeders' Cup, but these are horses that are going to be forgotten and more than likely go off at a little bit of a price i mean i think warlike goddess is your least to be like forgotten forgotten and be like double digit long odds on the on the board but i do think that you get a little bit of a price float from the morning line or uh you know just from what you would really expect the fair odds to be on this horse yeah i, I think that's completely right i, I don't think you're going to see 10 or 12 to 1 on warlike goddess but i think you might see four or five to one you know if she floats at all off of that even better um, it depends on who all shows up and what the draws look like, of course. But I really, really think she has a huge chance to win in this race. And I love the fact that she's been able to be a little more tactical this year. If you look at some of her previous runs from last year, she she was generally at the back of the pack. I mean, she had to pass them all to get up. And she did almost every single time. But this year, she's found herself a length and a half, two lengths, maybe three lengths off the pace, more of a mid-pack style. She doesn't need to be at the very back and have to work out the perfect trip and pass every horse anymore. And I think that's going to be huge in a race like this, where it is going to be a big field and being able to be a little more tactical could be a huge advantage for her this year. Absolutely. And I'm just looking through some of the names that are listed as probables on Horse Racing Nation for, for that race. And I mean... You're kind of right. You're they're not really sending just the the studliest of studly uh Euro uh you know turf marathoners here. The the one that I pick out that I'm I'm think you know could be a concern is maybe Stone Age for for Aiden O'Brien, but it's not like Stone Age actually ran that well when in its last race here in the United States. So I mean who who knows? This this could be, like you said, a pretty open race where maybe some Euros take uh some some money that they're not necessarily uh worthy of taking uh at the window. Yeah, I mean, there's European. You got to respect them when they come over here because even their, even their JV squad is sometimes better than the best that we have. Yeah. And if it wasn't for Warlike Goddess being in this race, I don't think I'd be interested in any of the domestic horses. Uh, Gufo is probably the best bet for the U.S. male contingent in this race, and sure, 
he didn't, you know, he seemed to be going a little bit the wrong way in his form cycle with uh, two. Oh, yeah, I, I, I think goof. It's it's not Gufo's time anymore. Uh, I, I don't think. I think Gufo's time was last year, and yeah. then he caught that weird ass track at, at Del Mar. Uh, that's that's my uh, way to justify just the amount of money that I slammed through Gufo and lost <laughs> last year. I was with you. So that was Caleb Knight's five forgotten horses for Breeders' Cup Classic Day on our build up to the Breeders' Cup series. Man, this good five good horses to pay attention to. Things to consider when you start your handicapping. I mean, pretty soon we should have the advanced PPs for uh, for the Breeders' Cup out that we can start taking a look at, start making sense of these. But until then, all we can do is the fun stuff, which is speculating bullshit. That's right. That's all we can do. And uh, I don't I don't know when the draw is or when the uh, pre-entries come out, but I'm hoping it's soon because because uh, I'm excited. I can't wait to uh, go find more American horses to try to use to beat the Redcoats. There we go. That's what I'm talking about right there. Nothing like some good American Revolution imagery right at the end of an episode. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Caleb. Uh, Caleb, you got anything going on you want to plug before uh, we get out of here? Uh, just a quick thing with On the Wrong Lead. Uh, you know, you know, you've had enough of us on. I'm sure everyone should know who we are and what we do by now. But we'll be doing uh, our shows as usual uh, Thursday of this week. We'll have our normal show. I think we're actually going to do a European preview show this Thursday. So we're going to do do some homework on some of the European horses that are coming over to try to give the viewers a little more insight as to you know who they've been running against, what we think of them, because that's often one of the hardest parts of getting ready for Breeders' Cup. So we're going to try to take a look at that on Thursday, and then we'll have our official Breeders' Cup streams probably the Thursday and Friday of Breeders' Cup week itself. So uh, you can catch us on YouTube at On The Wrong Lead or Twitter at Wrong Underscore Lead. We usually stream uh, about seven o'clock or seven thirty Central Time on Thursdays. Speaking of which, we've got one more series, one more episode left of our build up to the BC series, where we'll be previewing the European runners. Uh, but as opposed to on the wrong lead, we actually got a European person coming to do it. When Malcolm Bamford joins me all the way from Newcastle, uh, so I mean, you know, choose which show you want to listen. You uh, you know, you can do both. I would do both. I personally would do both. Uh, the, these guys, I mean. They, I, I've known them for a long time. I got my start doing live streams with them. They know their shit. So definitely check that out. Pay attention. Check mine out. Pay attention. You know, like the gift says, why not both? That's right. He's got the expert. We just, uh, we just, we'll drink scotch though. So we drink imported whiskey and we can cap imported horses. There you go. That's what I'm <laughs> talking about right there. So that's going to do it for us here on the Notorious OTV brought to you by the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. Uh, catch us later this week. We'll have our bankroll builder show and our uh, our big uh, horizontal sequence show. So we will be back later this week. We will catch you next time. See you later.